We had a packed week this past week with plenty of tournament matches and challenges galore. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. I'm David Sackrider and this is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie trivia showdown. We're going to kick things off first with arguably the best match of the week. We're talking about Andrew DiMolanta taking on Joseph Scrimshaw. It's the Finstack Exchange taking on the Quirky Mercs. And man, this one was a good one. You kick things off, and I think you really started to understand what type of a match we were getting into when at the end of round one, they're both tied at 11 apiece. They both go get all 10 questions, including the bonus. And then to follow that up, they go in round two. Dimolanta spins the Phantom Menace for a perfect 10 points, and Scrimshaw follows that up with a new hope for another perfect 10 points to make it a 21 to 21 tie at the end of round two. Um for Joseph Scrimshaw, I think this is kind of what we expected coming into this. He's gone toe-to-toe with Alex Damon in the past and just fallen short. On the flip side, Andrew DiMolanta came into this with with something in his eye. He, he definitely had the eye of the tiger um, in this match, and it became clear to me that that my pick of Joseph Scrimshaw going into this match may may have been wrong just from the way that DiMolanta looked going into this match. He definitely set out to prove that his 0-2 record wasn't consistent with who he was, and I think that he definitely was able to do that. He had They head into round three, and both are able to go perfect, hitting their two, three, and their five. And that's really key because the five pointers in these specialty divisions, you're talking Intergeekdom and Star Wars, are insanely difficult most of the time. So the fact that both of them were able to hit their five to remain perfect in regulation and ha- have the round three end in a 31-31 tie was huge. So then, after sudden, after the tie... At the end of regulation, they head to sudden death and Dimolanti uses that expert level challenge, that Ben Bateman level challenge on uh, the sudden death question on the Luke's hatred question to give him the win 32 31. And we're going to talk about uh, throughout the episode today, what makes a good challenge. And I think that uh, Dimolanta held on to his challenge all match. He uses it here because you got your challenge. You might as well use it. And it, at this point, it's it's sudden death. It could go either way. The challenge gave him the advantage here and allowed him to get the win. I definitely think it was a smart use of his challenge. And and it's a gameplay decision. That's that's what you want to see these things decided on. You don't want to see these these decided on a bad question or a weird answer. The challenge was a gameplay decision. And ultimately, I think it was a smart one. And it's 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 why I think that Dimolanta was just edging out Scrimshaw in this match. I mean, obviously, it was it was the difference in a one point game. The thing is that I really think that this proves that Dimolanta has the potential to hang with Alex Damon. I know it's only been one match and his previous two matches uh, were lackluster in this area, but if he can reproduce this the next week when he takes on Molly Damon, I definitely think that he has, he has the potential to have the belt at the end of this year, uh, assuming we get another title match. Andrew Dimolanta came into this match I, you know, I said it earlier with the eye of the tiger, there's, there's no other way to really describe it because he wanted to prove that he was better than his own two record. Well, now he's got a, he doesn't have that chip on his shoulder anymore. He's got something else that he's got to find that will drive him. And maybe the belt is enough. Maybe it isn't. We'll have to see. Looking at this match as a whole, however, I definitely think that this might stand out as a potential match of the year. 
You look at those match of the year candidates, you're looking at the Ben Bateman, Dan Merle title match from earlier this season where Ben Bateman nearly completes the comeback. He loses the title to Merle in Atlanta, but it's a close match all the way through a fun match to watch plenty of drama. You've got this match, two perfect games and regulations. Dimolanta just barely triumphs off of the smart gameplay decision in the, in the sudden death challenge. And then you've also got the Stacy Howard, Eric zipper match where, Stacey Howard lucks into her five-pointer for the amazing win that just decimates Eric Zipper. Um, when you're looking at these matches, any one of them could be the potential to be match of the year. And I think that while this past scrimshaw Demolante match is a strong contender, I don't think it's quite enough to edge out Bateman Merle. The reason I like Bateman Merle is it's got that drama to it. Um, Bateman goes down early. He has to fight his way back. He does. He's not quite able to get the win, but but there's a drama to it. You you don't really know what's going to happen when with these. I could go with one Bateman Merle and pick that every time over 50 sudden death, two perfect round games. The two perfect round feat is impressive as a technical feat. But match of the year to me encompasses so much more than just just being able to get questions correctly. Match of the year involves some drama. It's not just just one thing. And that's not to discredit this game at all. I, I loved watching this match. It was very close. It was a fun watch. But for me right now, Ben Bateman, Dan Merle for the title in Atlanta is the match of the year. And I, I can't wait to see as this tournament goes on to see if that's going to be dethroned. Another thing I think we've got to talk about coming out of this match and something that we'll kind of talk, hit on a little bit later when we're talking about the Barbarian is I think we've got to talk about um, Bobby Gucci, Tom Dagnito, Finstock as the manager. We give we don't seem to give him the credit he deserves as a manager, ultimately, Um you know, he was gifted those four players. And I use the term gifted lightly because I think he actually earned those four four players at the draft. Um, but I don't think people are giving him enough credit for what he was able to do after that. He drafted the Barbarian and Andrew DiMolanta um, in the fifth and sixth rounds. The fact that those two were available in the fifth and sixth rounds has to show that that uh, Tom Dagnino is playing at a level above everybody else. In addition to that, you're looking at, I mean, the way Demolanta played in this match, the way the Barbarian was able to strategically maneuver through categories and the way that, that Gucci was managing him in that match, it says to me that Dagnino's probably putting in a lot of time to prepare these guys outside of just being there to be on screen. I think in the past, that's what he was. He was there to be on screen, uh, to be the voice box of the team. But I think we're really starting to see Dagnino prove why he's the three-time manager of the year. He's actually being at that level of a manager of the year contender, the way he's talking to his players, the way he's prepping them. I think you can point to this turnaround for Andrew DiMolanta. You know, a lot of it is... Dimolanta's success, and it should be. I mean, he put in the study hours, he put in the work, but he was an 0-2 competitor before Gucci, and he's a 1-0 competitor after. So I think that says a lot as to, as to what he's able to do as a manager. And you can give him crap for the stuff at the beginning of the year with uh, the miscommunication with Roca, and you can give him crap for you know 
being gifted four players to start the season. But the key strength of a manager is what they're able to do with those mid-tier guys, your rookies, your your guys who have been in the league but have never had much success. If he's able to turn those guys into successful players, into next-level elite players, then you're looking at somebody who's a next-level elite manager. And I think that's that's somewhere where he succeeded, where somebody like a Roxy Stryer has failed this season, is he's able to take those those middle-of-the-road guys and, and put them on the path to greatness, and Roxy Stryer just hasn't been able to quite turn that corner yet. I think that Tom Dagnino has the potential to be manager of the year again this year, and I think that it's crazy to think that he might be a sleeper pick uh, to be manager of the year. Moving on, we had another Star Wars match where Molly Damon took on Adam Witt. Um, she remained calm over Adam Witt as the headline I decided to stick with that one. And that's that's just due to the sheer number of challenges. We're going to address the challenges just right off the bat here. I think that Sam's challenge earlier in the game that really kicked things off was a smart challenge. It's a good challenge because he was paying attention to the match. He looked at Harloff's reaction to Adam Plitt's answer. It was kind of so-so. He decided to capitalize, and I think that's ultimately why it went his way. The next two challenges by Adam Witt, I think, were bad challenges. I, I just think that that's what you have to look at. They were bad challenges. Um, they were reactionary, in my opinion. He was just like, oh, we're just challenging things. I forgot I had a challenge. Let me just use the challenge. And uh, in addition, I don't think you should ever be challenging a situation that can lose you points. Uh, you're, if it loses your opponent points, that's great. In this case, it lost Molly Damon the potential to um, have that bonus question, which could have been big in the match. It ultimately didn't end up mattering, but it, it could have had big ramifications. That being said, it lost him the point. So I don't really think that you can um, you can give him as much credit as that that might be. If if he had gotten it wrong, but he challenged it for her, and then it prevents her from being able to get the perfect round, that's one thing. But to nix himself points is a mark of a bad challenge, in my opinion. The other thing is that he used. He squandered two challenges early and lost the challenge entirely. And you're going to need those challenges later on in the game. You're going to need them for a five pointer for uh, uh, something to decide the game at the end. I think that what we saw with Dimolanto was he was smart when he challenged. He chose his points wisely. Same thing with Sam Levine. Sam Levine was smart when he challenged. There's a reason why you look at these top level guys that really utilize the challenge. I'm talking about a, a Ben Bateman or a Jeff Snyder, or even a Sam Levine when he was in his, his, his prime competitor uh, days, when they use the cha- challenge expertly, it, it propels them to win the game. It throws their opponent off. It does all these things. Sam Levine in this, this match uses the challenge. It throws the competitor off. Now all Adam Witt is thinking is about how can I get, the other team back for using this challenge against me. And honestly, it could have gone the opposite way because Molly Damon could have been rattled by it off also. And luckily enough, she wasn't. 
So as we get into the actual match at the end of round one, with all the challenges going on and everything, it was a nine, seven Damon advantage. Then we head into round two and that's where, um, Adam Witt spins first. He decides to go with revenge of the Sith. He spins away from the last Jedi first, but ultimately lands on revenge of the Sith. He goes four for five for seven points. Molly Damon then Decides to spin away from mixed bag, goes with solo five for five for eight points. So at the end of round two, you're looking at a 17 to 14 lead for Molly Damon. And when you look at round two, uh, another theme of these matches is spinning away from a category in the specialty matches. And there's two ways of doing it. There's the Adam Witt way of doing it. And then there's the Molly Damon way of doing it. I don't think Adam Witt choosing to spin away from the last Jedi is a smart move. It shows an obvious weakness, even if it's just the last Jedi or it's as wide as the sequel films, it shows an obvious weakness to be exploited in the future. I don't on the flip side, Molly Damon decides to spin away from mixed bag. I don't think that that's a bad move because of how general mixed bag is. Um, spitting away from mixed bag is okay. But choosing to spin away from a film category, in my opinion, is a no-no. It's It displays a weakness, and in the specialty divisions, you can't have any weaknesses. You can't be at that point where... Um, it's obvious what somebody's going to choose for an opponent's choice for you. I don't think that, that you can have obvious weaknesses like that um, in order to succeed in these specialty divisions. And we, we will see it in the next match. So anyway, in round three, Wit hits his two and his three, but he misses his five. Molly Damon hits her two and her five, but misses her three. She ends up getting the win 24 to 19. And she moves on to take on Andrew Dimalanta. As we take a look at the bracket here, you have to ask the question, does Molly Damon have what it takes to beat Andrew DeMolanta? And it depends on which Andrew DeMolanta we see. If we still see Andrew DeMolanta playing at the level that he played against Scrimshaw, I don't think she does. But then again, listening to her on backstage, listening to her in her post-match, I think that Molly Damon learned a lot from this Star Wars match. She learned about the types of questions being asked, what needs to be studied. I think that we're going to see a stronger Molly Damon in the next match because she's already laid down that foundation knowledge. Now it's about, you know, studying a script, if that's what it takes, or or finding that way. I definitely think that it's you can't just write this off as Andrew Demolanta is going to move on. That being said, after watching Andrew Demolanta play, I, I think he wins the whole tournament now. I'm going to rescind my my pick of Molly Damon. I think Demolanta has looked the strongest out of everybody. And there's only one we haven't seen yet. That's Ken Knapsack. If Ken Knapsack is able to look good, you know, I may be rescinding that statement yet again, but the star Wars matches have definitely been fun to this point. There's no doubt about it. And what it's proven to me is that any person could come out of this, a winner and could come out of this beating Alex Damon for the belt. I think that, Whoever comes out of this gauntlet is going to be the strongest competitor that Alex Damon has faced to this point. So now we're going to swap leagues here. We're going to head to the Inner Geekdom League where the Barbarian took on Adam Plavik. And 
this was another interesting one. We weren't really sure what we were going to get out of the barbarian. Uh, Adam Lavick's kind of a, a known quantity at this point. He's not really one that puts in a lot of time at, on the study part of things, or at least it doesn't appear that he is. And in this this case, in the post-match, he kind of talked about the fact that he had been putting in more work on the study side of things, but things just don't stick for him. The Barbarian, from the way everybody's talking about him, he seems to be this force of nature. The, he's just got one of those brains for trivia that allows him to study at a high level. And I think that he proved that he can hang in IG here. He goes not in round one, the Barbarian takes the lead nine to seven. In round two, he kicks things off by spinning MCU, which is a smart gameplay decision. And you heard it from Bobby Gucci as he was talking it through this decision because it takes it away from Adam Plavik. It's, it's Plavik's strength is MCU. So choosing to, to take it away from him was very strong. He goes five for five for only seven points. And then with Adam Plavik's turn, he decides to spin away from Trek again displaying an obvious weakness in specialty division in a specialty division. You look at, he goes to spin again. He gets opponent's choice. He gets stuck with middle earth. Another really uh, weak category for him. He's only able to go three for five for three points. And he relinquishes a one point steal to the barbarian, making it 17 to 10 in favor of the barbarian at the end of round two. Then, at the end of round, then as round three goes into it, Adam Plavik hits his two and his five, which sends it over to the Barbarian to hit his two, which he does, culminating in a final score of 19 to 17 in favor of the Barbarian, and the Barbarian moves on. It's a tough match for Adam Plavik. Um, but ultimately, it proves the point, just as uh, it was proven in the Molly Damon Adam Witt match. You cannot have weaknesses, or you cannot have obvious weaknesses in specialty divisions in Inner Geekdom and in Star Wars. The top dogs, your Kalinowskis, your Smets, your Robert Parkers, don't have weaknesses. Whatever spun first on the wheel, they'll pretty much go with, unless they're choosing to make a strategy decision. Whatever they get, they're going to be strong in and they're not going to have a problem in. If you want to get a belt in a specialty division, you cannot have an obvious weakness. You cannot have something that if somebody chooses opponent's choice, that's what they're going to stick you with. Obviously, there's going to be those categories like the who said it's and the mixed bags that are going to be difficult. But for you to succeed in a specialty division, you have to be so well-rounded that it doesn't matter what you get on the wheel. You're going to crush it. And even then, you might have trouble getting the win, as we've seen with Brandon Hanna on multiple occasions. And speaking of Brandon Hanna, as we move into our final match of the week, Brandon Hanna took on Saul in what's basically a grudge match at this point. The two were going at it on social media in the lead-up to this match. And... um. I definitely think we got what we were asking for in this one. Uh, I had problems with Saul's promos online. I thought they were a little bit too rambly. I thought they were um, a little bit, they just didn't quite do it for me. Maybe a little bit too soft-spoken. Um, lackluster is the word I actually used when I was describing it a few weeks ago. And I, I think that what Nerd Chronic was able to do in the promo this week was make him make him look a lot better. 
he, he was a lot better in his edited promos where only his best statements are clipped out um, by Nerd Chronic. I think that that was, that was really well done. I think that when Saul speaks on his own, he's just not quite cutting the best promo. He's not cutting a John Roca or a Mike Kalinowski level promo. And I've seen some people kind of tout him as this like promo God. And I don't think that that's the case. And I'm not going to say that Brandon Hanna has been cutting great promos either, but I've definitely been more entertained by Brandon Hanna's promos than I have been by Saul's. Saul's just feels like regular trash talking that we've heard anywhere else. Um, he's not quite getting to that level where it's quite as methodical. I think um, it's not as well thought out. Uh, one thing that I've been been seeing as a, a team action Patreon members, they've been going through their past matches. And one thing they talk about a lot is like the amount of time they would put into prepping their, their jabs at people. And I definitely think that that for Saul, it can't just be off the cuff all the time. You really got to have stuff prepared to be a, a, a good bad guy. And he's supposed to be the, the lesser of two evils in this match. But even still, if you're going to be playing a heel, you're going to be playing with somebody at the, with an edge, then you've got to portray that edge. You can't just be kind of middle of the road heel because that doesn't accomplish anything. And I know a lot of people are, are saying that that's what Hannah is right now, but I don't think that I think the way he's calling everybody out, I think that it's, it's, he's been put over for me as far as, um, the level at which he's going about being a heel and where on the flip side, Saul just hasn't quite done it for me. Getting to the actual match, you're looking at the end of round one. It's a 10 to nine Brandon Hanna lead. He misses the bonus for a potential two point lead, but still a 10 to nine lead is uh, nothing to scoff at. As he heads into round two, he spins first, goes with Wizarding World first, goes five for five for nine points, only has to go to multiple choice once. Um, really veteran level play for him. Saul spins away from DCEU to MCU goes four of five for seven points, resulting in a 19 to 16 lead for Brandon Hanna at the end of round two. Then in round three, Saul hits his two and his three. Brandon Hanna hits his, his two and his three. Saul's unable to hit his five, resulting in the 24 to 21 final in favor of Brandon, the hitman Hanna. Brandon Hanna moves on. And I really think if you're analyzing this match, uh, from an analyst perspective, Saul played like a rookie and that's, that's nothing to be upset about. Um, he played like a rookie. He played like it was his first match. He made some key key mistakes. Um, you know, he rushed his five pointer. He forgot multiple choice and that's ultimately the difference. Those tiny mistakes, especially in these, these, uh, deep cut divisions are enough to really do you in. On the flip side of that, I really think that Brandon Hanna really pulled out a strong showing. He played like a veteran. Um, he played like he's been in this league before. He knew when to use his repeats. He knew when to use his multiple choice. Um, if he fine-tunes the details, if he's able to get that Paul Rubens questions, I think we're, we're looking at him as a potential contender to take the whole tournament. I think that Saul is being pushed really hard by Christian right now. And I don't know that he did quite enough in this match to get over for me. I, you know, as I alluded to earlier, he's just too much in that rookie category. I think I need to see two or three matches for him. But for me, it, it didn't quite do the fact that he 
he uh, talked all the smack talk and wasn't able to really back it. You know, sometimes you win when you lose. I don't think this was really the case for Saul. I think he just lost. Um, it's not a bad loss. It's not like I never want to see him in the league again lost, but it was kind of like a, oh, that was a character that didn't work type of loss, or at least that's the way that I looked at it. However, on the opposite side of the spectrum, Brandon Hanna has the fire in him. I think that there is a potential, depending on what we see from Alex Damon, that he could run this tournament, that he could beat Mike Kalinowski, that he could beat Robert Parker, that he could go take on Smets. I think that he has that potential in him. I think that that he's he's following the formula is how I'll put it. You look at both John Roca and Mike Kalinowski. Both of them were at their lowest before they they reinvented their characters and they made their mark on the showdown. You look at John Roca before the outlaw really came into play. He, he was Bespin. He was defeated. He was out. He decided to twist the character, become this, this hyper heel outlaw persona. And he got over with fans and I cheered for him in his title match against Merle. You think, you think about that as one of the, the quintessential Schmodown moments that doesn't happen. If he doesn't reinvent himself after Bespin Kalinowski loses with DC movie news to team action. He's kind of a, a nobody in the league. He takes a twist right there and becomes one of the best characters in the league. That's exactly what Brandon Hanna is doing here. And maybe it's not quite working for as many people right now, but the more wins he gets, the further he progresses along this tournament, the more likely he is to be talked about in the same conversation as the John Brokas and the Mike Kalinowskis. It all depends on if he's able to beat Alex Damon, if he's able to beat Mike Kalinowski, if he's able to beat Robert Parker. If he wins this tournament, there's no question to me that he is a high-level character, that he's a great character in this league. And I think that if you're not jumping on the Hannah bandwagon now, you definitely should be after this match. And that might be a hot take, but that's the way I see it. Brandon Hanna is going to steamroll this league. If you're not seeing that yet, you're just blind. So if we take a look at the tournament bracket going forward, as we see both the Barbarian and, and Brandon Hanna move on, Hanna will take on the winner of Alex Damon and Jen Kemp, which I perceive to be Alex Damon. I still think Alex Damon sh- stands the best chance to win the whole tournament. Uh, that being said, I would love to see Brandon Hanna do it. I would love to see Mike Kalinowski do it one more time. I would love to see Robert Parker do it. I would love to see the Barbarian do it. Um, there are a lot, just like the Star Wars tournament, there are a lot of different outcomes that could come out of this tournament. And I'm excited to continue to watch this. You know, anybody could win this tournament. And certainly some people are more likely than others, but I didn't think Alba was going to beat Warfather. So really what this has proved and what tournament season always proves is that anything can happen. Anybody can win. And anybody who's able to go on, on the run that it takes to win a tournament is going to be in that conversation to beat Smets, just like with the star Wars tournament and Alex Damon. It's definitely going to be inter- interesting to watch going forward.
The other thing to take a look at that I think is really important to talk about is the the faction standings now at the end of the week. The usual suspects after getting the win with Molly Damon take a huge step jump up to the middle of the pack. They're sitting at seven points right now. However, they've got the fewest matches played. The Finstock has changed. You know, the rich get richer. They've got 22 points. They've got their head and shoulders above everybody else. And then you've got the dungeon at one and six sitting at the bottom of the pack. And it seems like this uh, strategy that Kaiser has isn't really paying off. Obviously, we haven't seen Robert Parker play in IG yet. We haven't seen Eric Zipper play in the IG tournament yet. If those two are really able to do some stuff, it could be different for them. However, the dungeon's in some rocky water. If you look ahead to this next week, we've got the usual suspects have a match. The rock stars have a match. The droogs have a match. The quirky mercs have a match. Swag has a match. Swag needs the win to move to secure second place for them. They need to move ahead of the den, move into second way, second place so they can continue to work at the Finstock exchanges lead. However, any combination of the suspects, the rock stars, the droogs and the mercs also need wins to kind of, differentiating themselves from that middle pack. There's the, that four there that I consider to be the middle pack. You could, I think the rock stars are just a little bit ahead with that six points um, ahead of the bottom pack. I think that a, a win gives them nine, puts them at the top of the second pack. Um, any one of those four that are hovering right there at the middle, they definitely need a win this week if they want any sort of a chance to challenge for the Finstock Exchange's title at the moment. It's still anybody's game, and anybody could come out of these tournaments with a lot more points. I think that, you know, to say that the Finstock Exchange is just going to run away with this season is uh, to be looking at the season blindly. It's anybody's tournament. It's anybody's game. And we're definitely seeing that here Um heading into this week at the end of uh, this last week where we saw the usual suspects jump up. Anybody could make a jump like that going forward. And these tournaments are going to be key, especially because they're that the three points instead of two points to making that jump. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of repeat the question. We thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're on all social media. If you look us up at RTQ Pod, the best place to find out when the show is going live and and what's going on around the Schmodown. We're on Anchor. And because we're on Anchor, we're on all podcasting platforms. So be sure to check out the show in audio format. But just know that if you're checking it out in audio format, you're missing it, only getting about half the show because there's so much more to the show when you catch it on video. So that'll do it for us here. Thank you for tuning in and so long.